0: And we're back. Holy shit. Tenet. Christopher Nolan's latest uh, something. It's definitely something. Um, I'm sure of that much. It's something. I should have thought of a way to start this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it, you're going along the same narrative thread of, to the start of this podcast than the whole movie had. I mean,
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, he started it at 100 miles an hour, just right into the yeah, action, you, right? Yeah, you, so. you,
1: you launched in with no plan, uh, with no idea of where you were going, and you made it into something. And I think that's very, um, actually very relevant to what we're talking about today.
0: I mean, that's how I operate, man. Just have a vague idea and wing it from there. <laughs> Hope everything works out. It usually does. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I mean... There's a lot to talk about with this thing. It's such a weird puzzle box. Um, but let's get some value judgments first. Jeff Casino, did you like this movie?
1: Ah, oh, okay. So the way I put this is that I enjoyed this movie. This movie is what I consider a hundred percent. It's it's brain candy, but it's too smart to let you be let it be brain candy. So it's like a hundred percent organic brain candy. You know, it's like it, it, it wants to like be something more than what it is. Does that mean it's not tasty? Kinda, yeah. It's not tasty. It's it's it, it has all of the the structure of Nolan, but none of what makes me love him as a director. So I'd say it's an enjoyable movie, but it's my least favorite Christopher Nolan film by far.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. It's interesting you phrase it that way because. I liked this movie quite a bit. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I think it might be Nolan's worst like big picture. And um like I would describe this movie as a really complicated puzzle box and you're like figuring it out and you're marveling at how it's constructed and you're like looking for the reward inside this puzzle box. You're like, what's going to be inside? And you finally crack it open, and there's like, I don't know, like some Cheerios or something, <laughs> like nothing substantial. And you're like, wow, that was a really cool puzzle box, but it um, it didn't have a lot in the interior. It was more about the construction of the thing and marveling at the construction, whether that's the plot or the filmmaking, which we'll get into, which is phenomenal. Um, Agreed. He's really pushing the bar, but... But I was thinking about it in terms of, like, Inception, right? And Inception is his other sort of, like, complicated, mindfuckery doodah movie. Um, but it has a really strong emotional core that you can relate to. Because you're like, yes, it has all of these elements going on, like, swirling around the center. But the center is Leonardo DiCaprio dealing with his wife's death. Also, the, the same could be said for, like, Interstellar. You have all this crazy stuff going on. But at the core of it, you have that family dynamic. So there's like really strong relatability and humanity at the core of those films, even though they do go in these wild directions. And that's, I think, what was missing from Tenet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have to agree fully. I mean, this this movie was, was scenes just happening one after another. And there was nothing for me to care about or really hold on to. And that's so unlike his filmmaking. And I mean, I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. I, uh, there will be bias from my side about most of his work and his filmmaking style. But in this film in particular, he really decided to reign back on Making these characters somebody you care about, and instead making them fun characters, almost like little action figures, like fun little characters to root for and the protagonist. Put. Yeah, it, I mean, that's a good way to put it. I mean, that's a good way to relate it. Uh, it's yeah, they seem like little action figures, like that you can place into these fun little situations and see how they work, and put them in weird, kooky time travel cool. situations and see how they work. So, I don't think. What he did on this movie was like, oh, he didn't do his character characterization like he normally did. Well, that's a bad thing. It's more like he was trying to do something different. I just don't know if it quite landed.
0: Hmm. Alex, did um, you like the film?
1: I
2: was supremely disappointed by this film. Oh. Um, not because of, like, we talked about the filmmaking. If we're talking about just the filmmaking, it's like sublime. Brain candy is a perfect way to put it. It's like sometimes I'm watching these things, and like I don't believe what I'm seeing on screen, but it's so cool the way he did the reverse stuff. um
0: well, we'll get to the filmmaking, but um, what did you why were you supremely disappointed
2: because of pretty much everything you guys just said, um you know, going back to what Jeff said, part of the reason I've always loved Christopher Nolan movies is because. I like this feeling that the audience can be racking their brains trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with gravity or something where another half of the audience could be, you know, deeply touched by this father and daughter type of relationship. This movie lacks almost all life, like uh, when it comes to storytelling and narrative, um, which I, I, I'm not going to let him get away with, you know, just because the, the scenes are so technically amazing and everything's so cool. I thought that the, like, plot was just so dead and lifeless and the exposition was so, it was needed, obviously. Like, I wouldn't be able to watch the movie without any of the exposition, but that's, like, uh, that's all that the plot was doing for me. It was a story written just to support whatever scientific endeavors were going on in the film, and the only person that I actually really keyed in on was, or the two people were the the wife of Andre Sator and Robert Pattinson's character. They had the most life out of anyone in the film. The main character was just, ugh, I don't know. It was hard for me to like care about him.
0: If there is an emotional core, I think it lies within Elizabeth Debicki's character. She's fantastic, and her uh, dynamic with Kenneth Branagh was also great. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he is of course a yeah fantastic he was amazing actor too. yeah. Um, but you mentioned something that warrants going into a little bit, which is the concept of exposition because this movie does something that I'm not sure I've ever seen before where it's both way too much exposition and not enough at the yeah. same time. Agreed. <laughs> it has these incredible action sequences that leave you breathless You're you're so engaged with them. But then it oscillates between that and like this crazy overexpository these these overexpository scenes where you're getting so much information and simultaneously not enough. Now, by the end of the movie, I felt like I understood it. I understood all I needed to. There are some, like, technical things. I suppose you could, like, perfect your mechanical understanding of the puzzle box and, like, tease out every little, you know, logical thing. But I don't feel the need to do that. Um, I understood what was happening enough. But, yeah... I don't know thoughts on thoughts on this exposition because it is very weird. It well, is. Well,
1: this movie is quite anxiety-inducing with its exposition, and I it, and it kind of put me off when those scenes happened. I kind of wanted just more of these raw action scenes that were like cleverly shot and cleverly thought out, whereas in in the dialogue, most of like the heavy dialogue scenes had this this go 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 push pace to them like as if they're like we have so much information that we need to get out to these people because we really want to make this movie the way it should be so go go talk talk so that everyone talks in this very like no breathing uh cut uh manner i can't i mean the only other movie i can really relate it to is uh inception there's there's moments in inception where they're where, they, where they'll explain the plot and there there's like these quick cuts to the dialogue. Blah, 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 blah. bam. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 bam. The next line. And it's, and in it, Inception, it was a movie that, that handled its ups and downs really well. Whereas in this movie, its ups are so high and its downs don't get low enough to where I'm like, st- I'm still kind of like nervous the whole time. I don't know. I can't quite explain it other than that. It just it had this very nerve wracking feeling. Um it had enough it had enough lore to it, I felt, where it would like be a better video game almost. Oh yes. Because you could get that time to get that dialogue out and get all of the exposition. But in a in a two hour movie it's just it feels very rushed.
0: Oddly, yeah, two and a half hours, right? So it's yeah. Sorry,
2: I was going to say the video game aspect of it. It reminded me of this video game series called Far Cry, which is, you know, big on its, like, stories. And they build these big worlds and, like, crazy organizations pitted against each other. It's like a shoot-em-up game, you know. If anyone listening knows what it is, you'll, you'll know what I'm saying. But it's like, the way that the dialogue is delivered, what you were saying, Jeff, it's like... Every actor memorized their lines as if like they were almost the only person in the movie. And even when they're speaking to each other, it's like you're not speaking your line in a way that would be a normal conversation where it's like a give, a giving and a receiving of dialogue. It's like Michael Caine says when he needs to say. Protagonist asks the questions that he needs to ask and is already in like keyed in on some of the info. And then it's just like he's a little snotty to the waiter. And then it's just like over.
0: Yeah, it's it's an incredibly frantic movie. Jeff's point about um it being uh, what did you say anxiety inducing is interesting because it's it's not an emotional anxiety. You're kind of distanced from the film besides being engaged by uh, like the spectacle sort of scenes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because the pace of it is so incredibly rapid and you're, like, nervous you're going to miss something that keeps you on edge. Like, I understand what you're saying. But it's it's almost for the wrong reason, maybe. I guess it depends on what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain level of engagement with a science fiction movie that you expect from Nolan. You expect a certain stretching of this or a, a fudging of these rules. But I don't know. When it comes to Tenant it doesn't offer anything concrete enough to cling on to. It's a lot of science mumbo jumbo where it, it's hard for it to make up for other mistakes that it has, such as what you're talking about, uh, Jesse. It doesn't have enough, I don't know, it doesn't have enough uh, juice behind it, behind the story. It doesn't
0: have an emotional core. It yeah. really,
1: it, it, do, it doesn't. And, but it, the science, the science fiction is just so stretched out and so, different than nolan's normal writing which is just really weird to me i don't know the whole time i was like this just feels off something feels off about this movie yeah feels rushed or something about it feels not finished
2: i expected a lot i will say that so like i'm maybe being unfair in some of my judgments just because of my love for the director and like what i thought this film was going to be but i will say it's interesting that i did avoid it for a little while without knowing anything about it i was ready to see all of his other films like very quickly besides dunkirk and
0: that's my favorite one.
2: Oh, it's it's i think it's the best i think it's the best <laughs> like nolan film out there but you know i can't give him credit for for the narrative uh threads of that movie because i mean i mean i guess i can give him credit for showing a actual historical narrative like in a way that i thought was meaningful and like whether or not it was true um pretty sure he did his fact checking for that movie however but this one the worst thing i think science fiction can do is get caught up on all like the gadgets right it like gets caught up on the shiny like little devices that our heroes will use or things like that and like you see it in science fiction literature study a lot they talk about how, how does What does this say about humanity? What does this say about the future of the human race or the past of the human race, right? And it's always wrapped with these little sci- sci-fi-ish, like, tropes. But it's always at its core about humanity. I mean, it doesn't have to be. But that good science fiction, in my opinion, at least, is like that. And this movie was like, it was like Nolan doing Nolan. It's like if Nolan became self-aware of, oh, my fans just like to see the science fiction like gimmick, which they don't. Absolutely, I but agree. It, it's like if he knew that while he was making this film. It was so weird.
1: There's a level of strange self-awareness to this film's uh composition that is so eerie and off-putting. Like he almost even in the beginning there's uh this the score, like the opening score, is very interesting. It's it's something to me that was exactly out of inter- Interstellar. Now uh-huh. I know he you, you used a different composer for this movie, but it was almost exactly like an Interstellar score for a second. It was almost like he was making a nod to himself, but yeah. in a very not like egotistical way. In an exactly. almost like like a very meta way, it was it was yeah. very strange. I couldn't. This movie is very meta. It's very it's very strange if you look at it' from just a Christopher Nolan composition
0: it's Nolan going a hundred and fifty percent Nolan yeah <laughs> it's it's in a lot of ways not only that but the filmmaking is is crazy it's oh. I don't know you don't see things very often that push the boundaries of what cinema is capable of and this does and I want to point out that. It's there's no green screens in this entire movie. It's all practical <laughs> effects. They actually crashed a 747 into a hangar and I blew it up. That looks real. Just winging everything, it. Everything everything was real uh for the most part. You know, of course, some visual effects are added, but it actually had less visual effects shots than anything he's done like a- almost anything he's done, I believe. Um which is crazy. Oh, it's insane. And it's it's also worth like noting that for the problems I had with this movie. And I think I liked it more than you two. But um, I'm so glad it exists, which is a weird thing. Because Nolan is, like, one of the only real filmmakers that still get this kind of budget and, like, get movies in theaters. You know, even, like, Scorsese and David Fincher are releasing movies on Netflix now. Even Michael Bay Who it's like, of course, like you would think that he would be the first one to still have his big budget schlock in the movie theaters. You know? But no, he's doing stuff for Netflix. And so it's like with this level of filmmaking and the chance of Tenet, because this is a very chancy movie for a studio to produce. It's very inaccessible in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. I'm just glad it exists. It gives me hope that that real filmmakers that have a vision can still make something that's a chance, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Oh, totally, totally agree. This movie is definitely something that I appreciate being around. I don't hate it at all. I mean, like I said, it's my least favorite Nolan film, but I definitely think it's an entertaining and fun film to watch. It's enjoyable. It makes me smile the whole time I was watching it. I remember uh, thinking, like uh, a little bit of a metaphor was like, it's like listening to an eight-year-old tell you about a sci-fi movie that they've half seen. <laughs> like, like it's it's it. That's exactly like how trying to follow the plot is is like a little kid going and then there was this part where like then the guy came out and then he had a gun but then the gun like reversed backwards and then he (laughs) fell down the hall it's like all this kind of like just insane moment to moment science fiction weirdness that you never quite get enough of so you're always left wanting like a little more information about like what's going on with this this time dilation but at the same time this movie's quite derivative it, it has a lot of themes that are have been done or have been done better i feel like the theme with like the inverted bullets the weird kind of temporal uh, effects on items was done better in 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 the video game control like there's a lot of oh. there's a lot of styles that this movie was trying to churn out at once and i think it was a little bit to its uh, to its detriment
2: It is almost like one of those things where I love video games and their stories sometimes because it's an active medium compared to a passive medium. And this film felt like an active medium to me. Like, I wanted to interfere with it and be like, well, I want to explore this protagonist a little bit. Or I want to explore, like, why is he so hung up on this girl? Or, like, at least why is he so hung up on this idea of, like, motherhood? Um, This is
1: a movie that needed a codex. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> this movie yeah.
2: is a codex. Yeah, it is more codex than a
0: movie. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. I didn't. Uh, I didn't think about the the time stuff being derivative. I haven't played Control or anything like that. Um, but I thought that the way it played with time was super neat because it's not. It's not like you don't go back in time. Mm-hmm. You move backwards through time. Reverse and entropy. You have to. You have to do so at the speed of time. Which is very interesting and set up a lot of really insane action scenes uh, that I that I thought were amazing. I did get like my brain just started to to fry at the end though, at that that ending like battle yes. where you have fast motion and slow motion, and I didn't understand what was happening almost at all. Um, and I wonder I wonder if that had something to do with the fact that you never see the enemy soldiers. It's just like forwards and backwards these crews these like platoons Uh, i don't know oh red and blue yeah yeah. (laughs) i didn't know what to make of it
1: well this is i mean i think this is precisely what we're talking about like you have scenes like that which are so weird and off-putting for a christopher like i would never if you showed me that scene in a vacuum i would never say that that was a christopher nolan scene i was so convoluted it was it was nothing about it that like he was his style but then you talk about the things that are his style the things that are writing that his writing is so beautifully suited for like like the the moving backwards through time instead of moving through time well and while i don't feel like that he definitely did a a time travel movie that is great for film time travel movies notoriously are just not my favorite or i don't think a crowd favorite like they come up every once in a while you have things like doctor who but usually in like when I would watch Star Trek if there was a kind of a time dilation episode I would be like ah this is not what I'm really that into mm-hmm. but but because there's not much to show it's all just kind of the same hacky like I don't know you who are you this I'm meeting you before this time but this movie was very show and not tell. With the time travel, which I think well, it did still...
0: tell the telling, just didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I guess
1: you're right. It did. <laughs> that's perfectly to put it. Yeah, but it was just Nolan's way of looking at time travel through a filmmaker's eye, and that is what's so unique about the time travel.
0: It's also the weirdest James Bond movie I've ever seen. <laughs>
2: exactly right. That's it. Like that's the perfect way to describe it. Because when I think of a movie that I'm okay with watching that has a character that I like. Uh, I don't know. I, it's so like, just derivative and flat. I'm not saying James Bond is flat, or the actors who have performed in that way. Is How flat. dare you? <laughs> you know what I'm How saying? How dare, though, dare right? you, it's Alex like, It's like okay, we're gonna James get some Bond gunplay. Is we're gonna get some loving. We're gonna get some drinking. Some you know banter between the enemy and between James Bond, and it's like. The only reason I have an ideal character or composite character of James Bond in my head is because there's just been so many of them that I'm like, okay, he's the stiff upper lip British boy, you know? Um, where, you know, I haven't seen anything that this main actor has done. I know he was in Black Klansman, and that's why Christopher Nolan selected him. Um, and I'm. He's Denzel Washington's
0: son.
1: Wait. That's what? not true. What? It is
0: true. That's true. He's Denzel's son.
1: No. Okay, so, uh, you, as you can see, sometimes on Real Weirdos, not all of us do our homework. Yeah. But, but <laughs> this is a crazy, because the entire time I was watching him, I was like, he has this Denzel swagger to him, to the way he walks, to the way he approaches scenes. I actually didn't think he was a bad actor, and that... You're blowing my mind, Jesse. Yeah, me too. Holy. He's cow.
0: he's not a bad actor. It's just a it's just a kind of a flat character. Having some kind of motivation that like drove him besides, "Hey, I'm action man," would have been appreciable. I guess there's something there between him and him and uh Elizabeth Rebeki's character. Debicki, sorry. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um, but it wasn't much. Like Alex said, you're kind of like, "Why does he care?" Yeah, you like
2: know? You know, if they had set up, like, I'm throwing my own narrative ideas in this film now, but like if there was a scene that showed our protagonist growing up with a single mother, just really right. quick, I would have been like, oh, perfect. Yeah. This is exactly why he's helping this mother try and see her kid.
0: Like, Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. Boom. That's amazing. That's an amazing, like, you should have, Christopher Nolan should have <laughs> consulted you.
1: Well, yeah, you go from this, like, assassination scene in the beginning, and you're like, okay, this guy's, like, a ruthless, cold-blooded, efficient, like, agent. Yeah. And then immediately, without any hesitation, he's like, I'm your dad now. And it's just (laughs) so strange. He's like, I love you, and I want to be your husband, like, vicariously through space. Like, it's so weird and off. And not Nolan's style of writing or filmmaking. Well, filmmaking, yes, but not writing.
0: You're talking about... You're, you're talking about between the protagonist and Kat.
1: Jeff. Yes,
0: yes. Okay.
2: The ending scene was very Nolan, right? Where he's, like, sitting in the car after he's done the deed to Priya. And he's watching the mom, like, hold the hand of the kid. And then, like, you know, it's like, this is where the movie's ending on this... like. That's where Nolan was trying to be like, this is where the emotional core is right here. The beautiful image of a mother being reunited with her, her cub. Right. And like, I was just like, oh man, I don't know. I, I just, I cared for the mother and Debicki. That's the pronunciation I'm going to go with here and her like characters, motives. I was all in on her. I was like, yeah, I totally see why you're doing this, like doing the things you need to do. But for the protagonist, even when he's figuring it out with Priya in the car, or he's telling Priya how he figured it out, he was like, it was actually me who d- who hired me. I was like, hold on. What's happening? Why
0: are you legitimate,
1: even here? Legitimate eye roll. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's two <laughs> eye rolls at the end of this movie, and that was one of them.
0: Yeah. What was the other one?
1: Uh, I think it was at the very end when he was... Uh, I... I I don't know. I'd have to. We'd have to come up on. It. I don't forget, but I remember doing two legitimate arrows. Edit that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was okay with it. I kind of figured there were a few things that I was like. Of course, there was that one, and then the one I saw coming miles away was when they did the first heist in the uh, the like uh, oh, the art bunker within the oh
2: that security company Rotas. Yeah, the
0: security company thing, and it's like you see Robert Pattinson's character um like take down a guy and you see off screen and he just lets him go away i was like oh it's gonna be it's gonna be himself yeah we're dealing with time travel here you have to do something like that oh of
1: course i was waiting for it but can we talk real quick about how robert pattinson is the best part of this movie
0: i would say elizabeth debicki is here and um and kind of the Props to Robert Pattinson. Yeah. He's shedding shedding his shell yes. and becoming a really good actor. <laughs> his glittery vampire. I, know,
1: I was skin. I I was really impressed with his performance. I think he really nailed this character that, that Neil that he was trying to play, this kind of strange information broker. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I really liked it. I was convinced that he was gonna be a grown up version of um, Sam, the protagonist. The, uh, no, gr- oh, the son. Gr- that was yeah of of Kat's son of son. Oh, uh, that would have been interesting. Son. I thought he was like a grown up version of of him. Maybe he is Jeff. You yeah. just
0: have to study the details. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, like,
1: I I wrote that down as well. I was thinking like this is a mo- a type of movie that people like the more times you see it yeah like the more you see this movie and it's not because like the details or like the hidden cookies of yeah no it's 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 more just like it it grows on you these characters are definitely characters that you need time to grow with and 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 you build like oh that's my favorite like this is a totally a movie i would see little kids saying like that's my favorite i'm him it's it's five action movies jammed into one, and every action scene is the climax of it's of what action movie it would have normally been in. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. like every action, it absolutely scene, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like every action scene in this movie is the climax to a movie. Yeah, and it blows <laughs> my mind every time I watch it. I'm just like. Wait, okay, so are they getting the final thing now? I know. Because yeah. like they're putting all their budget into this and it's like, oh no, that was just because we had to like get the key to unlock the door of dreams. Like I don't <laughs> Heist Heist number nine. Exactly. It, it was so and like the way the characters just behaved when it came to like resources was my favorite like he was just okay we need a helicopter and we need a a fire truck and we need two uh, garbage trucks and a flatbed and and it was it was like a little kid like saying what he would need it was i don't know this movie had such just little kid energy to me in every way
0: was anyone else confused like how he was getting all these resources? I was like, "Who are you working for?" Yeah. Michael time? gave
1: him his, uh, his black American card. Express yeah. black card. Is he? You know, he's oh. got that frequent flyer miles and.
0: How dare I not have remembered that tiny detail? <laughs> well, that speaks that speaks to like the the ability to rewatch it because I think like I think you're right, Jeff. I think it would improve on a rewatch unless you just didn't like it, um, because you can sort of like breathe easier you know the first time you're like so agitated trying to understand all the things and like not miss anything so being able to like sit back and like have a a good idea of what it's doing on the grand scale and then just like I said be able to just relax and enjoy it more and pick up little details I suppose yeah I will say
2: Kenneth Branagh's treatment was good they did show him a scene when he was younger right with the plutonium it shows his toughness, his like that Russian old Soviet hardness that, you know, we think of. And then just when he kills his buddy, when they both unearth the plutonium, you, you can make the track from you're like, OK, I can see where you went from 17 year old Andre Sator in your crazy closed city that's not on a map to this like international arms dealer. And like, yeah, Kenneth Brana and, and Elizabeth Divicki are the two like, big titans of acting in this movie. But I think that Robert Pattinson is... I was telling Jeff, or, excuse me, Jesse, this the other day. I see him as, like, this kind of, like, new neo-Lawrence... Not Lawrence of Arabia, excuse me. Peter O'Toole. That, like, accent he had was very posh and British. You know, he had his little blondish hair kind of going over his eyes and everything. And I was like, you know, you can make something into this. Like, you can make your career into something big. And he has. I mean... The Lighthouse, I guess the Batman thing looks okay. He's going to be Batman. I, know. Um, I mean, we'll see. But he, he's on his way, in my opinion, to becoming like a, an actor that I care about seeing on the screen and whose characters I end up like loving and r- really getting into.
0: It's so funny that you say Peter O'Toole, because in 2015, he was in a movie called Queen of the Desert, directed by Werner Herzog. Where he plays T. E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. That's insane. It's, it's <laughs> so interesting that you would you would say that. Apparently, Werner Herzog thought the same thing.
1: Uh, I mean, let's. I mean, speaking of characters that we all love and recognize and root for, can we talk about James how? Uh, can, we talk, can we talk about how Michael Caine? Oh, yeah. And his like ten minute, not even ten minute, like you know, three minute scene. I just, that shit just tickles me in movies. Because, oh, yeah. You know, he's, in, he's in Interstellar. He, I think he's been in, he's in The Prestige. Like, he's been in a few Nolan films. I mean, he's in Batman. And, yep, he's in Batman. He's, he's in, a, like, eight of them. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like... He, he's in a lot of I'm them. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and it's, he, and I really loved that scene. It made me laugh out loud because it was... Christopher Nolan. I don't know if this was improv on his part, but he was just really like just eating steak, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then giving his lines. Like there was there there was a very like obvious hierarchy of what his actions were in that scene, and it just made me laugh because he was just like eating steak and then delivering lines, yeah. not the other way around. And I almost I, I kind of imagined Christopher Nolan was like, "Hey, you know, Michael, can you be in like one more?" And he was like, all right, give me a steak dinner. Yeah. And then they just like, they're like, that's it. And so that was just him shooting his lines and eating a steak dinner. Let me and shit on like, w- Brooks Brothers. I was just dying. I loved it. Yeah. And then shit on Brooks <laughs> Brothers. I don't know. That, was, that scene was just like the one little bit of like comedy in the movie to me.
0: Yeah, if you want to watch Michael Caine chew on meat, this is the movie for you. Because yeah.
1: <laughs> he's like spitting and stuff and like talking with his mouth. Full. It's just so weird and off-putting I, I, like the rest of this movie.
2: Ooh, that actually, what you just said what you guys are just talking about, chewing meat this movie is one that chews and chews and chews and never swallows. And I will say that I, I'm stealing that from Edith Wharton and what she said about Henry James and his stories, but Ever since I heard that in an English class years ago, uh, I've looked for films or other pieces of art that do that. And for some reason, I feel like it does that. Not not in a grating way. You know, when I say I'm disappointed with this movie, it means, like, I have no antagonistic feelings towards it. Other than, like, I'm just sad because I, I wanted the story to be so much more. Um, but...
1: I can agree with that.
2: I think it's just my own expectations, to be honest. I, I don't know how to... This movie is very strange to talk about because I wouldn't say it's bad. If someone asked me, I would recommend it, you know?
0: It's it's worth watching for so many reasons. The, exactly. The plot, the plot, even though it's crazy, is like kinetic. You're never not interested. Uh-huh. It's always interesting, even if it's kind of frustrating. The actors are fantastic. We've mentioned, of course, that there's no fault to be had in the filmmaking. In fact, it... it pushes the medium oh yeah which is wild these days yeah but it's but it is i don't know it is a weirdly interesting fascinating hollow puzzle box of a movie
1: (laughs) well i think we've gotten to the point where we should really talk about the filmmaking because i think it lends a lot of context to what this film is so i mean this film utilizes a type of i don't know like Is it reverse shot? I I, I don't even know if there is a name for it, but it is so impressive how he was able to get these seemingly real time reverse shot compositions. I don't know. Oh um
0: I mean you mean the the reverse chronology, the reverse time. Yes, but Is like, that what like, you're talking about? Yeah, but
1: it's like it's so it would look so much different cuz we've all seen like shitty B movies and even like some bigger movies like, you know, camera tricks like reversing the camera or speeding <laughs> it up or slow it down. We've all seen these camera tricks before, but it doesn't feel like that's what they were doing. It was so much it was so it was so different of a of a medium and I just don't know if it has even like a name.
0: Um, I'm not sure. I mean, they did, uh, a lot of the things that you would think were like done digitally. They actually did. I think I'm not sure about driving in reverse, although it's entirely possible. Uh, and in fact, I I think they did. I'd have to check, but I mean, like Kenneth Branagh learned to talk in reverse. They did (laughs) as much as humanly possible. Practically.
2: Yeah. Oh, the fight scenes, I was going to say when they're in the security place. Um, you know, it shows the f- the first iteration of the fight scene when he doesn't realize that he's fighting himself in in the little gas mask. There are no cameras like oh, excuse me, I just hit the mic right there. There are no cameras um in like the shot, right? But then you know that you're gonna see that scene again, but it's from a different perspective this time. I have to think that they did the the fight scenes twice. Because there's like, unless they just cut out or edited out the, the the camera that would have been looking at the different perspective. Either way, the way that they so, do that was amazing.
0: In addition to performing stunts backwards, the main cast actually learned how to speak in reverse. So they did. They, they performed the stunts backwards. They drove backwards. It's all like real, you know, in Maybe quotes. that's
1: why it's so strange because my brain is so tuned towards... Looking for the camera tricks, looking for the way that it's manipulated, and maybe this, like, this real style of shooting this is what's kind of throwing me for a loop, because it looked so, like, especially that fight scene you're talking about, Alex, that one specifically in the hallway... I mean, there were so many moments where it looked like it was either reversed footage or like wires. Uh-huh. Like they were pulling people up on wires because of just the way they were able to kind of quickly bounce back from like landing. I don't know. It was it was very strange. If that's the case for all of the stunts, including the fighting in reverse, that's. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're talking about we're bumping this movie up notch after notch. Oh
2: yeah, it's insane. Like that backwards like crab crawl thing he does when he's on the ground the first iteration you see of it you're like what is he doing and then the second one you understand why he slid on the floor for so long because it doesn't look physically possible when you first see it um i think though the idea of reverse entropy too is interesting because this isn't normal time travel from what i understand my very very limited knowledge of physics Reverse entropy, or entropy is, you know, the state of things going out into disarray. They start from, like, the Big Bang, and then, you know, our our universe is experiencing what we would call entropy, because it's ever-expanding. Only, however, only, from what I've read, to our eyes does it seem that way. Only to the human optic nerves or whatever do we see time go in a certain direction. So the time travel in this movie is actually just saying, like, we're just looking at time from a different perspective. It's not even like they're doing anything to time necessarily. They're just saying, we see explosions shrink instead of grow. And I, I don't know how he could, he was able to come up with like a visual way to represent that concept that I just went through. But he, I think he did it like perfectly. Cause it wasn't like hokey. Like we're going through this weird void now and we're in 1600, you know, like, like you said, the derivative things of, of time travel. So I think that the technical aspects of this movie do prop it up and save it from its plot.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of the plot again, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those movies where some people will love it because they'll be able to analyze it to death and that's like what they want mm-hmm. and they figure out, like like I said, the the mechanics of the puzzle box and other people will hate it for the exact same reason. Like, I think the people that did not like inception will be furious oh, watching yes. this movie. So they'll <laughs> be like, what? This doesn't make <laughs> sense. Blah, blah, blah. And they'll still be like, it's terrible. Yeah, And it's like, no, it's not terrible. It's just like, <sighs> like for me, I just kind of let the science slide after a while. It's like, okay, a sure, Movie. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. You know, like, uh, calling it terrible off the back of some things not making sense is a very internet thing, I suppose. Like, let's discount all the great acting, all the great scenes, all the great movie making, all this and these, uh, this beautiful stuff because some things don't make
1: sense.
2: Um, let's fire up The Conjuring, so, yeah. honey. I'm done with well, this yeah, shit. It's,
1: it's <laughs> called Suspended Disbelief for a reason, and it's just... I mean, I gave up on the science of this movie because I usually love the science of the Nolan movies. Like the black hole in Interstellar is still so impressive to me just visually. And I still Mm -hmm. look at pictures of it and I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow. And I try to imagine like, what if that's actually what it looked like? And oh, it does. But, but with this, it was, it was so different. Like I I actually wrote down the line when they were like trying to quickly explain away the 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 time travel, the temporal manipulation of the weapons mm-hmm. is inverse radiation through nuclear fission. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm cool. <laughs> like I'm right? Yeah, yeah like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm cool. Whatever. <laughs> Science, mumbo jumbo. And then literally the line after that, she says, "Don't try to understand it." Yeah, and I'm like thanks for that yeah thanks for that nod <laughs> to the audience no, small it does knock.
0: it does that it does that many times it's like it's already happened like don't worry about it or you don't need to know that but at the same time it's it's explaining it in excruciating detail yeah it's so it's so strange like the the way he uh, just c- constructed the narrative of this and the explication it's just so strange it's frustrating. It's like he made the science. It's a frustrating movie.
1: Yeah. I agree. I've, I felt very frustrated the, the whole time I watched it just because of I wanted to land somewhere. I wanted to have a solid opinion about something. And the whole time I'm like, do can I enjoy this movie? No, it wants me to think. Okay, now yeah. it wants me to sit back and watch Ocean's Eleven. Like, I just didn't <laughs> <laughs> quite know where. <laughs>
0: Well here's a question. Here's a question. Did it did it come together for you at the end, like the whole the whole science of it? Maybe not every little detail, but like the, the big picture of it.
1: No. I'm gonna be honest, no. I'm one of those oh, wow. okay. I'm one of those people who are like I, I didn't hate the movie because I didn't put it together, but the big reveal I was I remember laughing at the end of the movie because the only thing that I that was telling me that this was the big reveal was the score. <laughs> like i was just like i could just tell by the music i was like oh it's all supposed to be coming together right now but oh for, for me, i didn't I,
0: necessarily uh, mean like the the reveal of him as the protagonist that's almost sort of like okay sure whatever that sure makes yeah. sense um i just meant like like you understood what happened in the movie by the end you know what i mean
1: oh yeah yeah well yes obviously yeah definitely
2: I think that when he tried, when he Nolan tied up the friendship between Neil and the protagonist, that was, that was the one point where I actually thought like, I was, I I liked that they had this friendship. Right. And I liked how Neil says to him, like, for me, this is the end of a very long and beautiful friendship. You know, and the protagonist, he has to like, for the audience, almost, he says, so you mean that this is the beginning of like a friendship for me? And I was like, okay, I knew that that was the implied already, but, you can say it but you know that moment like i was like okay the, you know the protagonist is actually crying he's like showing some like emotion um as he goes off into the future or past or whatever wherever he's going and <laughs> it's like i liked that you know i understood i was like okay i understand this temporal like pincer relationship i guess like, I, I, I don't know, I guess like that you just meet in that way. But then, you know, the idea that Neil's character is the one that's so sacrificial and selfish, selfless, excuse me, and he saves the protagonist at the beginning of the film. Uh, it like makes his character just much more interesting to me. Like he was the main character for me. I don't know why. And his all his like hmm. British swagger.
1: But yeah. Yeah, I agree. He was a, that's why I really liked his character. I consider him the best character. I just I liked his swagger. I liked the way he he leaned into this role. It was just really cool. And there's and this like I said this movie has great visuals. Like there's something I wanted to point out. It was really cool that like in that proving uh room uh, where the basically the time machine for lack of a better word mm-hmm. is um One side was red and one side was blue. oh it was yeah like red, red, red shift, blue shift. I thought that was uh interesting, a uh, little like throw, uh nugget for like all the physics fans, but otherwise, this movie kind of just failed on like the real science part, at least for me.
2: yeah, I mean, I think that in nolan in a lot of his press releases says like i'm not trying to like I'm not trying to push anything about the science like being real. Um, I like how he does that, right? Sometimes where he like will play with concepts of science that are a little more complicated than just like the basic who done it plot that we see in movies. and then the way he I think he's just very good at visually representing some of these concepts. Um, however, in interstellar, I actually, I'll have to fact check myself after this, but I believe that the artist rendering of the black hole in that movie, was the most accurate rendering of a black hole at the time until scientists recently actually got pictures of M83, at, like which is the big supermassive black hole. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. He did a tremendous amount of research for uh for Interstellar,
2: and the pictures came out looking like the, the Interstellar black hole. I was like, hey, I've seen that before.
1: That's an Interstellar. Yeah, similar. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was looking for initially. I was like, oh, he's gonna go like hard grounded sci-fi with this like temporal entropy like okay i get that how, how do
0: you do that though I that didn't bother me at all i, I was didn't like, bother right, me. fantasy movie
1: it just was something i was expecting in the beginning and then when it didn't happen i was like okay we're gonna sit back and we're gonna like watch like a cool action movie yeah and that's what it ended up becoming was like a really well shot action movie i mean the fights were like i mean we can talk there was a lot of really great choreography in these fights oh like, yeah a lot of great mma with some foot sweeps and some low ground grappling and like there was there was just this great there was some great jiu-jitsu there was just so much choreographed fighting that was brilliant and then there was even some little jackie chan nods like i believe like when he was fighting those guys in the kitchen and he was like, oh, oh yeah environment yeah to fight <laughs> when he That's walks through the kitchen jackie chan yeah yeah, that's very like I don't know. That, I was was loving that the whole time.
0: Oh, I miss Jackie Chan. Yeah, the old me too. crime era Jackie Chan, yeah.
1: like yeah. environmental comedy fighting. So oh, it's great. just the best. <laughs> and, like, I got like a little taste of that, and it like perked me up when I was watching that scene.
2: Yeah, that scene was actually really cool. I loved that scene when he first meets. I think that's the first time he meets. Um, cat is cat, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so going off one thing, I will say I love how. Kenneth Branagh's character like he's not your typical just like he's obviously an abusive husband but he's not your like I don't know like he's wait, not the guy that wait
0: why do you why do you think he's abusive what gave you that idea
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I loved how in he has like this facade of calmness and he's like very manipulative like oh if like you spurn me you'll find out that your son is just not gonna see you next week You know, you get two weeks away from your son or whatever. But there is that scene where he's so angry that he's taking his belt off and he's putting his cufflinks in the actual slots for the belt as he's wrapping it around his hand. Like, he's about to use this, right, on Cat. And I was like, Jesus, man. Like, it was a really good way to just bring him back down to him shoveling all of that dirt, looking for plutonium, right? I'm like, you're just nothing but this angry and abusive and just like, you're just a Soviet
1: beast of I muscle. Totally lo- like agree. I loved that scene. That was some detail that only someone who's been beaten with a belt yeah. before yeah. would have like known to put in. Like somebody I don't know if it was somebody in the writers like area or Nolan himself or one of like the key grips. I have no idea. Yeah. But somebody in there was like, Hey, you should have him put his cufflinks in it. Yeah. <laughs> because that's such a specific Detail that the subtle I, malevolent
0: yeah. menace of that. Exactly. Yeah, it's like
1: I'm not just going to beat you with my belt, I'm going to make it like, I, like I'm going to make it as bad as possible. I need, I want to draw blood. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that part. Um, the fact that he has that mentality of if I can't have you, nobody can really substantiated the element of. When I die, the world dies with me. Like, that level of ego, yeah. that level of self-importance, and greed, I, I don't know.
2: I'm the protagonist, whether you guys like it or not. Like, right. I'm ending this fucking story for everyone.
1: His character is so interesting. The subtlety that he plays into being this kind of, like, law, this really lawless psychopath doesn't really translate all the time. He has a little hiccup here or there. But Jesse, you were going to say something? I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: no, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, he's just, his
1: character is inconsistent for me. I, I, It's why I didn't, like, I really gravitated more towards Pattinson. I felt like his mm. character was, was good, but there was inconsistencies in the way that he played him especially on that boat like scene. what the boat scene in specific, in specific now i understand it was supposed to be like this one time where they're in love for this like one moment mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me so he's like a little uh more loose and open but i felt like that scene was strange and he played it interestingly because he knew the whole time that that you know what their plan was he was always he was always 10 steps ahead of them to the point where he's calling them from the past on his boat to like give him his their big villain speech and i found that to be strange while at the same time he knows i mean and correct me if i'm wrong but he knows that the that's not his actual wife or did he No, he know. does not know. Not until she not breaks know. the
2: she breaks the plan. She deviates yeah, from the Yeah, that's right
1: cuz she No, you're right cuz she shows him her uh, her scar. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. where I felt like it was inconsistent because it was just like he knows but he doesn't know. It was played the same. He didn't have much variation in playing those two different roles. I felt like he he knew the whole time. And it was it was you know, it was very weird. He plays this one character well, but doesn't deviate from it.
2: I will say, a man, they say that he went back to the Hanoi Bay right there, or Hanong Bay, I think, because that was like the happiest moment for him. And I'm thinking, like, a man of his stature, and like Andre Sator was like, he's like in his 50s, right? He's an international jet setting arms dealer. You're telling me that the happiest moment that he can extract from his memory is one that happened like a few weeks ago, or for like a few months ago, like just because his his you know estranged wife just kind of showed him like a glimmer of love. I just feel like he would go earlier, in my opinion. Like I there agree. Like maybe when they met, or like I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know. It, it's so strange to me. But you know, maybe life gets like that when you're that age you know you hold on to these like very small and mundane little happiness type things that happen in your life
0: i just i just let those details go (laughs) there's a lot of details i just let go yeah like um like it's like uh yeah there are points where the logic of it your brain starts to extend itself trying to grasp onto it and it turns itself into knots and then you're eventually just like okay whatever like when she sees herself Jump or when she sees the woman jump off of the yacht, it's when she's leaving the yacht apparently for the first time. Yes. But then the second time, it's like she sees it when her other self is coming back to the yacht. And what does this say about time? And is time now different? And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And you're like, okay, okay, movie, whatever.
1: I love whatever. That. I uh, yes. love what I love. What you decide to give up on. As far as story, just, it just—it always makes me, it always b- extends the threshold of my love for you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's
0: it's weird, right? It's weird, right? Because sometimes, like a movie that's about the plot, sometimes it'll really make me angry when things don't make sense. No, um, I know what you're saying. It's weird to, yeah. it's weird that some things you're just willing to let slide,
1: and others are not, and
0: it depends on the movie. Uh, I don't know
1: yeah, this movie is some a movie that was is better left to its action sequences, and that's it. it It's a movie that was too complicated to let me zone out and just appreciate like the fun and interesting shots. It wanted it kept bringing me back in with its space mumbo jumbo. and uh, it that's probably my biggest complaint. That's probably why it, it's not my favorite nolan movie are really I, I consider it the worst it's just it it didn't decide on what it wanted to be it wanted to be both and at the end of the day it just like had me the whole time like can i relax do i have to listen can i relax
0: <laughs> yeah well that's why it'll be better next time yeah because you can just sit back and be like all right time stuff whatever i kind of get it i get it enough you know now I can just enjoy the, the craziness. I will say that I guess
1: that will be a complaint, yeah.
2: The fight scene at the end. Um I like didn't know where to focus. I didn't know where like my to focus with like my eyes. No, like that was a cluster. I fuck. was like, wait, so what is the big tall bald guy doing? Who's yelling at them to not go in the tunnel? Is this building falling or is it being like reconstructed through time? I was just very, very confused. But um But yeah, like you said, that that didn't need to be that didn't need to be settled for this to be like a a good and cohesive like film as far as the technical and the science aspect goes and the narrative isn't even like terrible it's a cool idea to have this like agent you know um, I just thought it was it was like playing a video game where you do you complete a mission and then you go off to a cutscene really quick and then you you're on another mission like instantly right. So, yeah, I don't. Oh
1: yeah, I I've played I I've played a hundred sci-fi games. Yeah. <laughs> that were like this movie, and it its story is is decent, but needed much more time in the oven. Yeah. To and and need a little bit of the fat trimmed off for a full, just like for a two-hour feature-length movie. Release the Nolan Nolan cut, you know. Yeah. Give me like give me the four-hour tenant. The Nolan, oh Nolan cut would be like I'd watch six
2: it. 747s just crashing into this building, right?
0: That'd be the Michael Bay cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll do it all in CGI. Yeah. Uh, It'll look like crap. People I will s- love
1: it. I swear there were miniatures in this movie. Like, it, I mean, it was... There were. Yeah, that yeah. ending
0: scene. That ending scene, there were definitely some miniatures in that Yes, yeah,
1: so the buildings falling, like the skyscrapers, were definitely miniatures. Like, I really... Li- Appreciated that. And now that you told me that it's all practical, it makes more sense. Because I was like, why would they use miniatures? Yeah. In a world Dude, of CGI? Not a
0: single green screen was used. That's insane. That is
1: insane. What was the budget for this film? It was decent. It's
2: something
0: like two hundred and ten yeah. million it made like
2: three oh eight worldwide, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a big old it's a big old bonanza. It's um it's way too complicated. And lacking in like interiority as far as something to care about besides watching fun action and some good characters and good character moments. But I would agree. I think it's Nolan's worst film, but it's still pretty good, which is a testament to Nolan. Yeah, definitely.
1: Agreed. Yeah, he's one of the last bastions of a filmmaker that I really... Still cling on to and hope to see his movies, but there's also a new crop of young filmmakers. Well, but... as far
0: as like big budget action yes, filmmakers, yeah, definitely. yeah,
1: definitely. Villeneuve is um, in there.
0: What what if uh, yeah, Oh yeah, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to that Dune movie
1: oh, me too. Oh yeah,
2: the Green Knight. What if the uh, studio? So
0: what? Like thing. if if Nolan made a romantic comedy,
1: what would it be? Oh. Jeff I mean, Casino. I mean, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. If Nolan made romantic comedy, it would yeah, be... Yeah, tell us the plot. All right, so the plot would be... Oh, man, this is going to be so improv. <laughs> 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 so the plot would probably be like a man... It would be two interracial gay dads and their uh, neurodivergent son who also can slightly shift the nature of reality but only can do so whilst drinking water (laughs) (laughs) and he has to they have to use their neurodivergent son to protect the swiss bank from um martian hackers boom
0: i like it well, with with touching romance and and comedic interludes. Yeah,
2: the neurodivergent course. son, however, falls. In one of love the dads. and does. No, but it's all. But like how crazy but, it
1: is. But they're all dogs. Oh
0: God! <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's a, it's one a, of the dads. One of the dads is Michael Caine. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, the grandfather is Michael Caine. Who was like originally like kind of against like the interracial thing? He was okay with the gay thing, but he was against the interracial thing. I mean, he's a he's a racist, not a homophobe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, and yeah, I think he he plays like the the the, the dying grandfather because Michael Caine is the only at a point of his career where he can only play dying people. He's past old man. I mean, he was basically gumming that steak down and chew that shit for him before they put it in his mouth. Oh, I got
2: a chemo treatment finish this lunch date let's get out of here
1: <laughs> oh, ho, 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 ho. hashtag elderly <laughs> uh, eight, hashtag ageism uh what about you alex if nolan made a rom-com
2: ah wow, that's really interesting you know like oh, i don't know what it would be exactly but i will say i implore people to go and see this movie called insomnia which is like nolan's try at or it's early nolan um, and it has nothing to do with science fiction. It's a pretty, like, cut-and-dry cop versus serial killer story. Um, however, it's, like, there's something about it that is, like, blockbuster right? Where it's, like, less Nolan and it's more like, hey, I'm this... It was made in, like, 2005, I believe. So it's, like, hey...
0: 2002. Oh,
2: really? Even. Okay. So he's, yeah, like, yeah. hey, I'm this, like, you know, kind of up-and-coming director. I'm going to make this, like, murder mystery movie in technically the style that i want but i'll let the studio and the screenwriters play up the script i believe it's based off of a book but it seemed more like less auteur right so i would say if we went back to that nolan time period and like just made it a comedy i really don't know i really i have no idea because i've never seen him do like, I've seen him do romance, I guess. But it's always such painful and traumatic romance, you know? Like, your ex-wife is haunting your dreams and is trying to kill you to join you into some crazy world like an in Inception. <laughs> and then it's, like, the comedy aspect, like Jeff was saying. Like, that scene with the Michael Caine antenna is actually really funny. Like, the way that he's like, oh, well, we don't have a controlling... He's like, I'd say we have a controlling interest on snobbery. We don't, like, have a monopoly on it, you know?
1: Yeah, it was like all the comedy jammed into one scene. That yeah, was like, here's my here's my Walmart gift card. Go crazy! Yeah,
2: exactly. I, but that question's really hard. I have no idea.
0: Insomnia also had it had um, Robin Williams and Al Pacino. And yes, Swank. This is
1: stacked. Hillary, Swank, Hillary Swank. Swank. Yeah, this this is a stacked cast.
0: So, what's your favorite Nolan film?
1: Dunkirk. Oh. See, I knew. See, you film snobs are going to say Dunkirk. Oh, so. but me, but me, the Everman of this podcast, <laughs> I'm gonna go with The Dark Knight. No, um, I mean for me, it would probably be a, it would be somewhere between The Prestige and Interstellar.
2: I think The Prestige is actually like very a very good movie, and I loved Interstellar. Something about Dunkirk, though, when we're talking about this emotional core and, like, the humanity, that's one of, that's, for anyone listening, that's a big thing for me. Like, if you make it human and if you make it organic, maybe not organic brain candy, but, you know, like, if there's something I can, like, latch into, into the characters, like, I don't know, Dunkirk was just so sparing and, like, Jeff uses this adjective a lot, which I love, tight, right? Like, it was just so all the fat was trimmed off, and the humanity of it was just... I don't know, I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful story. And he didn't get too convoluted, right, with exposition or anything. Like, I could tell that in Dunkirk, Kenneth Branagh's character was a noble man just by the way he would stand and wait on the beach, and he's like, oh, well, I'm not leaving until the French are. You know, there's so many different stories going on in Dunkirk that I just thought were every single one could be made into its own little short story. You're either on the boat and you
0: naturally understand what's happening in all of them. You don't need any I I don't know if there's any exposition at all. If there is, it's very minor. And yeah, like, like the fact that it was so lean is a great point. And it's, it is almost like Nolan forgot all the lessons (laughs) that he learned how to like, how to make a brilliant movie with Dunkirk, which I do think is his best. Um, and forgot all of them and made Tenet. It's like, no. It's just like so sprawling and overly complicated. and Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But I think, um while I do think Dunkirk is his best movie, I would definitely call it his best. I think my favorite might still have to be Memento. Just because I've, yeah. I've loved that movie for so long. Since I was in high school. And that's another one that, like speaking to the concept of an emotional core... That's a movie that is confusing. But you always know what the core of it is. It's like Guy Pierce; he has it tattooed on his fucking arm. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's right there the whole time.
2: That has a good cast, too. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Same. But, you know, I will say, I actually think, as far as Nolan twists go, I think the prestige is the best twist he's ever come up with. I think that like, I mean, Hugh Jackman was great, but like when he realizes,
0: what was it? What was it? Again, um, it was like Hugh Jackman cloning. Yeah, himself. Or so something?
2: Tesla figured out how to actually like transport himself, I believe, um, or was working on this technology and Tesla realized like, Oh, I'm just keep, I just keep creating duplicates. Right. Cause Andy circus is like, let me have your hat. And then Hugh Jackman finds all the hats so Hugh Jackman ends up like, he wants to, he's like obsessing over how Chris uh, Christian Bale's character is doing this trick that he like, he goes fully down the path of like, quote unquote, let's say like dark magic, right? He's like, I'm going to throw myself into this just to beat this fucking other magician. And when you find out at the end, when like you see all of him in the, you, he dr- he drowns himself over and over and over. I thought like, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like that's a crazy twist, but then you find out that Christian Bale and his like buddy, spoiler alert, are twins, and I'm like, oh my god, this was, it was very natural, it was very organic to me, at least from what I'm remembering from the last time I saw it. So I think that that movie's very impressive, and damn,
0: I don't remember Andy Circus being in. Oh it. yeah,
1: oh yeah, he's Tesla's uh, assistant. Yeah,
2: he's like his. You
0: Igor. know, he's directing. Do you know he's directing the new Venom movie?
2: Wait, the no
1: the one with Tom good. Hardy in it?
0: Yeah, the new Venom movie, Andy Serkis is directing it,
1: which is interesting. Wasn't there already a shitty Venom movie with Tom Hardy in yeah, it? Yeah, this is the sequel. Yeah, it's a sequel. Oh, Woody
0: okay.
2: Harrelson is he's the baddie.
1: They're gonna pay him in steak. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do we have anything else to say about Tenet, ladies I, and gentlemen? I don't uh, think no. so. I <laughs> think I think I've exhausted. T- you can tell by the <laughs> how we've how we've veered off into all these other directions.
2: But Nolan is like, I, I, this movie doesn't do anything to, like, damage or diminish his reputation for me. It's just a slight, maybe not misstep or, like, not even a misstep. Because who am I to judge it, right? But if we're being critical here, which we are, it's like, oh, huh, that's what I think about the movie. It's just like, oh, huh, okay. Let's get on with the, I want to see what you're going to make next. And I'll go and pay whatever ticket price for it. Because I want to see it in theaters, whatever
1: he makes next. Definitely. It's definitely a theater Type of director in a movie Tenant, I would have much, I would have really liked to see. It wasn't Tenant one of the last movies in the theaters before um the lockdown.
0: I
2: believe it
1: got delayed yeah. three times because of COVID as well. It did.
0: It came out
1: during okay. the lockdown. Okay, I think because I just remember it being yeah, that's what it was. Because I remember it being like this big deal that a movie was released like in theaters during the lockdown. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean every director, even the best ones, are totally. You know, it's you can misstep. Almost everybody does it. You know, mm-hmm. you have minor failures. Some directors have major failures. Yeah, it's interesting, but but yeah, I would agree. I don't think it damages his reputation at all. In fact, I I hope he learns from it um, and doesn't go even more overcomplicated <laughs> next time. <laughs> Agreed. But he's definitely still. Very respected in my eyes, oh, yes. and I can't wait to see what he does next.
1: Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a movie worth watching, and uh, I'm really happy that we ended up doing it because it gave me a different insight on his filmmaking style.
0: So before we wrap up, you guys have any recommendations this week? Alex, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, actually, I was thinking about you
2: asking this question all week and I have never asked you guys your opinion on these stories or these films.
0: Fast and Furious? No, no, no,
2: I've, ne- I've never actually seen one of those movies. I've only seen the Tokyo Drift one because I'm Japanese, so I was like, maybe I'll see this one. <laughs> um, no.
0: Did it treat your culture with respect it yeah, deserves? Yeah,
2: exactly. It was so... Vin Diesel was... He's an honorary sensei now. Um, <laughs> no. I'm going to hate saying this, but if you haven't seen the harry potter films from oh. from start to finish yeah i knew this was gonna get i i didn't know what you guys how you guys felt about this but
1: oh i, I mean i love them, oh yeah but i just love that you're i love that you're doing yeah right
2: now. if
0: you got
1: because i will let you
0: finish and then i will okay <laughs> they <laughs>
2: recently put them on hbo right if you have hbo max subscription you can watch all eight of them an eight film collection and i watched them had this past week uh while jeff and jesse were camping and while i was finishing up tenant um i started from the first one and i followed the entire string and watched the whole thing and if you haven't seen these movies i don't care if you don't like harry potter you just got to see them um it's different directors and different screenwriters sometimes and you can see the growth of this movie the way that like I wanted to see it when I'm when we're talking about film and, and directors and techniques, you can track in Harry Potter a multitude of dynamic filmmaking techniques and directors and like attempts at making film that I think is just beautiful and an experiment of itself and experience. So Alfonso Cuarón directed a few of them, and those are the best ones, in my opinion. And then David Yates did a few as well.
0: Um, Didn't uh, Guillermo del Toro do one or two?
2: He did the, I think he did some of the design for like the monsters and the like...
0: No, he definitely directed at least one. Did he?
2: That would be crazy.
1: Well, let's check this. I mean, it, I'm in full agreement with you, Alex. <laughs> I am so happy you recommended this. <laughs> I, you know, Harry Potter was written for my generation. Yeah. I always feel like I grew up with it, uh, with that book. And read them all as I got older. And, oh, I think uh,
0: you're right. I don't think he did. I think I'm wrong. So good recommendation,
1: my <laughs> man. Because I I also, uh, just f- recently watched the entire series from start to finish yeah. for fun, and I thought it was a blast. And I th- love all of the filmmaking, and I think the films are shot incredibly well. And the seventh film is f- by far the best one. I would
2: put it up to the DC Marvel universe any day. I'll just say that. Oh, any day.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, I am not a Harry Potter fan. Okay, I think I maybe read one of the books. It's not something I've ever cared about, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I watched... I haven't seen all the movies. I think I stopped at the third or fourth one because it had one of the stupidest endings I've ever seen. Oh, the freeze Um, frame? I don't... Of Harry flying into the sky? um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like the bad guy gets away, but harry's like oh it's okay i got a new broom <laughs> and he flies up into the sky and it has this like joyful expression and it does a freeze frame and i was like oh my god that was so bad yeah so i <laughs> and i you, never watched another one you
1: told me this and then when i was watching them through that that happened and I had to, like, leave the room because I was belly laughing so hard because yes. of just how much, like, I'd never noticed. Like, because freeze frames are, I'm always like, okay, whatever, like, a freeze frame. Yeah. But, like, the fact, I don't know, the fact that you had brought it up as something that was so bad and out of place made me realize how much it was. Mm-hmm. But- this was
0: corny. Like, the the I get that, like, it was going to be continued in the next one, but it's like, you still... You still have to have your movie have, like, a good narrative arc, and I didn't think it did for whatever reason. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, I mean, I respect your guys' opinions. I, <laughs> I'm i sure I'll watch all of them eventually. Maybe I'll bump them up the list. Although, apropos that, I am still in year 1953 <laughs> in my chronological fucking on-the-spectrum watch order. You'll be here. there in no time. <laughs> in no time, just a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, my recommendation this week is not a wholly successful film, but it's it's a really remarkable one culturally, and that would be The Wild One starring Marlon Brando. Nice. I believe it was 53, maybe 54, but it was um sort of the first time cinema started to embrace counterculture, like the the sort of wild culture that was starting to spawn like people like the Hell's Angels and the beat generation, those, those, those elements of existence were just dawning out of the constrained, um, like buttoned-down America of the 40s, 30s, early 50s. Um, and so it has Marlon Brando as a biker, like the leader of a gang, and they go into this town and cause havoc. <laughs> and I think the film gets a little bogged down a little too bogged down in the violence um and fails to make a compelling commentary about it but it is super interesting because Brando is always super magnetic he changed the game with acting in in this generation and his style in the movie like everyone was copying his style and his attitude even down to like his choice of jacket and his uh, motorcycle. And it's just a really relevant cultural artifact if you're interested in that side of it. I mean, if you want to see a a movie that's completely brilliant from that era, though, I'd say Streetcar Named Desire, for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, just just go watch some early Brando if you have. It's it's phenomenal. It's really interesting.
2: I will say really quick before we get Jeff's recommendation. Sorry. I was just going to say, I know that, if you look into the relationship between James Dean and Marlon Brando, I think Marlon Brando did not like James Dean cuz he saw him as like kind of like a mimicker of of Brando's like energy. He was like he's like trying to steal like my my magnetism and my like method acting ways just for the image of it. He's like he doesn't actually he's not actually this type of person. Or Brando to his core was like mercurial person right and a mercurial actor mercurial actor is not a the right word he was always a pretty good actor but mercurial person as far as like man he's just a totally like a game changer on every level whether he was acting or you were just meeting him for the first time right like he's just such an interesting guy so to see the early stuff is really cool so that's yeah that's a good recommendation
0: he um yeah before brando most actors played to type, right? Mm-hmm. You'd have Humphrey Bogart playing like the Humphrey Bogart character. Um, you would have like Cary Grant being charming. I wrote about this in my streetcar review. um so that's why it's like on my mind. <sighs> but like the the whole method acting style, like other actors would would change, you know, like Jimmy Stewart kind of proved himself in some Anthony Mann Westerns that he could do a more serious role. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, uh, there there was variations on the theme, of course, but to see somebody completely disappear into a role yeah. and be a totally different human in every movie was wild. Like, nobody had ever been like that before. Yeah. And that paved the way for the greats, man, like the De Niros and uh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffmans and, you know, all the greats. Jeff, you got a recommendation, my boy?
1: Yeah. um, You know, the movie I'm recommending... Harry Potter? Yeah, (laughs) I'm recommending Harry Potter. The movie I'm recommending isn't a movie that's um, eclectic, but it's a movie that I really love, and that is the 1984 movie Amadeus. Oh, my God. Oh, hell yeah. F. Murray Abraham. Oh, my God. I love this movie so much and I watched it again recently and it's got some of the most gripping uh just emotionally impactful scenes it's acted to near perfection and it kind of um just goes through the life of Mozart and his relationship with Salieri uh kind of from Salieri's perspective and Salieri was a. Uh, kind of a frenemy as the kids would put it today <laughs> uh with mozart and it's just if you even have an inkling about classical music like you don't even really have to like classical music if you just kind of care or even if you like movies this this film is just really a, an instant classic and something that i i always go back to so yeah amadeus wow. that's, that is my recommendation <sighs>
0: If you chose that for an episode, I would not be disappointed.
1: It, that movie makes me <laughs> cry, dude. It's beautiful. I mean, we might... Who knows? That might be a... This might be an inspiration for a future episode. I just want to
2: say real quick... Well,
0: speaking of which... Oh, R. go R. ahead. R.I.P.
2: Milos Foreman, the director of that movie, who died pretty recently. I was really upset. That's true. And, no, that that is such a good recommendation. I fucking love that movie. The Creature. I just... It's such a... F. Murray Abram is... Man, talk about actors! That guy is fucking amazing.
1: Agreed. Yeah, it's just a, a beautiful film, and always, in my opinion, needs to be in anyone's collection. Sure.
0: So, on that topic, do you uh, have you decided what we're doing next week, Jeff?
1: You know, I've been bouncing some ideas around. I'm gonna I'm gonna play with them. You know, I I, I first thought Arrival because I just really love that film and i think it's another uh great modern sci-fi but it, i i'm i'm bouncing around though i have a couple other films that i that i want to maybe put up there but okay uh, i thought uh, we
0: maybe we'd wet the appetite <laughs>
1: I, I, I don't know i i i can't come come to a decision yet cuz if i'm going to suggest something i want to make sure it's something that is worth suggesting and that's a lot of pressure
0: like, uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm gonna throw some curveballs for hey. sure. Make you guys watch like Hollywood chainsaw hookers. Since funny games,
2: can, I, I don't know if we can get any worse with the the recommendations. Yeah, I think I think, I think <laughs> Alex is the one that needs to dig himself <laughs> out of the doghouse. Oh, I, I got yeah. my movie. Yeah. I'm ready. Pick a good one. But I don't want to. I'm right. not gonna say anything until Jeff picks his.
1: For sure. Okay.
0: Well, uh, next week we will be talking about. Something. (laughs) Jeff's keeping his cards close to his chest. I guess we'll find out. Thanks, everyone, for coming, hanging out with us and talking about a weird semi-failure, but an interesting one from our boy Christopher Mm -hmm. Nolan. Thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, that's us, Real Weirdos, signing out.
2: Have a good one, everyone. Thank you Thank you
0: much.